Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to begin at verse 21 this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, raise up your hand, and one of our ushers will bring one to you, because you're going to want to follow along with the text. Galatians, chapter 4. This morning, we're picking up where we left off before taking a few weeks off for the Christmas holidays and some messages focused on the coming of Jesus. But now as we pick it up in Galatians chapter 4, you might be wondering, well, it's the first Sunday of the year, first Sunday of a new century, first Sunday of a new millennium. Well, not really, but we're just counting it that way. But, you know, shouldn't you teach on something fitting for that? I mean, something that really sets the stage for a new century, a new millennium. And I'd like to tell you that that's exactly what I'm doing this morning. Because I believe with all my heart that uh, the Word of God is just as relevant in the 21st century as it was in the 20th and the 19th and the 18th, and in the third millennium as much as it is in the second. And Well, I praise God that the Word of God is more relevant than the newspaper you read or magazines. It's, it's just right there for us. So I can't think of anything more relevant for us to do than just spend some time verse by verse in God's Word this morning. Now, as we come to Galatians chapter 4, Paul has been trying to make a point over and over again with these Galatian Christians and with us. And if you've ever had a hard time understanding something that somebody's tried to explain, you can understand how Paul just repeats it over and over again in different ways and different approaches. And so now he's going to use another illustration from the Old Testament to try to lay this foundation for the Christian life, both for the Galatians and for us. And he begins here, Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Well, when you first read that, you almost scratch your head. Paul's saying, hey, you who desire to be under the law. And we might say, who would ever desire to be under the law? I mean, if you had the choice to be under the law or not to be under the law, wouldn't you always choose to be under the law? You'd say you have the choice. You can either be under the speed limit or have no speed limit. Which would you choose? Well, a lot of us, by the way we drive... We'd say, we choose to be not under the speed of Don't put us under the law. We all want to be free, right? We don't want to be under the law at all. Then why would someone ever choose? Paul says, you desire to be under the law. Well, actually, there's some things within this way of relating to God by the law that we do desire. Let me sort of explain this to you. When Paul talks about law here, he's not just talking about a list of rules, He's talking about the thinking in our relationship to that list of rules. The law is a system by how you relate to God. Right now, you have an idea of how you relate to God, each and every one of you. You have a conception in your mind of how you measure up to God. And you either have that measurement on the idea of law or on the idea of grace. Now, the thinking of law says... You measure up to God according to what you do. When you're a good boy, God loves you and accepts you. When you're a bad boy, God's not so sure about you, and he certainly doesn't accept you. 
It's all based on your performance. That's the law kind of thinking. That's being under the law. Now, the other way of thinking is the thinking of grace that says, my standing with God isn't dependent on my own performance, but it's based on what Jesus Christ has done for me and in me. And my job is to trust in Jesus with all my heart, and God takes care of my standing with him. See the difference between the two? And you say, well, everybody would want to be under grace, wouldn't they? Why would Paul say that there's some people who desire to be under the law? Because there's some really good things about being under the law. The first thing about it is that it's a very handy checklist. You know, trust is something that's harder for us to put our finger on, isn't it? I mean, we all know what it means to trust, but it's sort of ethereal. But when you've got the list of rules, you can say, you know what? I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do this. I don't do that. I'm going to heaven. And it's handier, isn't it? Because it's a list of rules. That makes some people desire to be under the law. Then you have another reason why people desire to be under the law is because when we're under the law, we can always compliment ourselves because we keep the rules better than somebody else does. They're going to say, you know what? I keep the list of rules better than they do, better than they. Well, I don't want to measure myself against them because they keep it better than I do. But these other people, I come out better. Yes, yes. And we're very proud of ourselves. And it feeds our pride, doesn't it? Well, and the third reason why we like to be under the law is also connected with pride. It's because it enables us to take the credit for our own salvation. We know why we're saved. We kept the rules. You could just mark off every box. And we earned our way to heaven. We did it our way. We are the ones to be praised and to be honored for it, not God. You see, under the law, it's what you do for God that makes you right before him. Under the grace of God, it's what God has done for us in Christ that makes us right before him. Under the law, the focus is on my performance. Under the grace of God, the focus is on Jesus. Under the law, we find fig leaves to cover our nakedness. Under the grace of God, we receive the covering that was won by sacrifice, the covering that God provides. I'll tell you, the Christian has no business living under the law, but yet there's this magnetic pull to it, and that's why Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, look at what he says here in verse 21, do you not hear the law? Paul says, you want to talk about the law? Okay, let's talk about it. Let me open up the pages of the Old Testament and tell you what I'm saying. See, Paul senses he hasn't made his point yet, so he's going to approach the matter with another illustration from the Old Testament. And essentially, Paul says, let's have a Bible study. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. I'll prove it to you from the Scriptures. Now, look at it here, verse 22. I I love this, this transition he makes. He says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Now, Paul assumed that every one of his readers would know what he's talking about, right? He doesn't go into a big, lengthy explanation of this. He assumes that all of his readers would know the story of Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac and how they related together. And so you just need to do a quick check yourself around. Do you know the story before you even reference it? I mean, do you understand what Paul's talking about? You're going, yes, yes. It's a real measurement of our biblical knowledge, right? When, when the Bible refers to other places in the Bible, and whether or not we know what they're talking about. Let me illustrate it to you this way. What if Paul were to illustrate it by saying, you know, it's like how 
Gilligan and the skipper related to each other on Gilligan's Island. Would you know what he's talking about then? He'd say, yes, yes, now I understand. Well, it's pretty sad when you get an illustration like that and it clicks with people. How much more should an illustration from the Bible click with us? So Paul's taking it for granted that his readers knew the Bible. And he explains his point from the story of Abraham, Hagar, and Sarah in Genesis chapter 16. He doesn't fill in a lot of detail, so let me fill it in for you. You see, in the book of Genesis, God had a glorious work of redemption to work out. And so he picked a man named Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I want you to get out of your country and get away from your family to a land I'm going to show you. And I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a nation. And I'm going to give you a blessing. And Abraham said, oh, this is great, Lord, because you're going to give a nation for me. I don't have any kids. I've wanted kids my whole life. And me and my wife were childless. By the way, it's embarrassing for Abraham. Because his name meant, the name Abraham, it means father of many nations. So can you imagine meeting people? There he is, you know, out taking the camel for a walk. And he meets somebody else and, hi, what's it? My name's Abraham. Abraham, father of many nations. You must have a big family. Tell me, how many children do you have? None. The guy would just smile. What kind of name is this? It's mocking him almost. And so for years and years, Abraham believed God's going to fulfill his promise. God's going to fulfill his promise. I know God's going to fulfill it, but it never came. For more than 25 years, Abraham waited for God to fulfill this promise, and the promise hadn't come yet. So you know what Abraham did? Something we often do. He took matters into his own hands. His wife helped him out. His wife came to him and said, listen, you know what? This isn't working. We've been waiting. We've been waiting for this child, but it hasn't come yet. I'll tell you what. Let's have a surrogate mother arrangement. I'll give you my servant girl, whose name was Hagar. And you can have relations with her, and the child will be counted as my child because it'll be a surrogate mother relationship, and that'll be the way that God gives us the child, Right? Isn't God good? He gave me this brilliant idea. And so that's what they did. But it wasn't of God at all. God said, no, no, no. This child that was born from the surrogate mother, Hagar, this wasn't to be the child I promised. The child I promised was to be born miraculously through you, Sarah. Even though your womb is dead, I'm going to give life where there was no life before. And there's going to be a glorious work here done. And so, no, this isn't the one. Now, as the son Ishmael grew up, he was the, grew up, he was the son between Hagar and Abraham. Everything was fine in the household. Until finally, God answered with a miracle, and the boy Isaac was born miraculously from Sarah. Now you had one husband, two mothers, and two children in the household. And you know what? It didn't work. Because Ishmael was mocking and persecuting Isaac, the little boy. And Sarah, the mom, had enough of that. And so she said, you get that servant girl and her son out of here. And Abraham did it. He sent them away. Because Isaac was to be the son that inherited everything. Now, isn't it amazing that Abraham is going to take this? Excuse me, Abraham. He's not writing this. Paul is. Paul is going to take this story about Abraham in the Old Testament, and he's going to show us how it relates between law and grace. 
Go back to it here, verse 22. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. You see, these Jewish friends of of, uh, Paul and the Galatian church, these ones who wanted to go to legalism, they very much prided themselves on that, well, we're sons of Abraham. Their favorite worship song was Father Abraham had many sons. They always loved to sing that. They said, yes, we're sons of Abraham. And Paul said, well, indeed, you're sons of Abraham. But as I seem to remember, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. So which one are you more like? Are you like Isaac or are you like Ishmael? Well, what's the difference between the two? Well, first of all, we know that they had different mothers, right? Isaac's mother was the free woman, the wife, Sarah. Ishmael's mother was a slave girl. Hagar. So look at it here, verse 22. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Do you get the point here? Ishmael and his spiritual descendants, that's the legalists, they're in bondage. Isaac and his spiritual descendants, those are true Christians. They have freedom. You know, legalism is bondage, isn't it? It's bondage in the rules and the regulations. It's bondage in the heart because you never feel like you measure up to God. You never feel like you're really accepted before him. Or if you feel like it for a while, pretty soon you crash from it because it's all about you. It's all about your performance. Friends, if your salvation, if my salvation is riding on my shoulders, I'm in a lot of trouble. I'd rather lift it up and put it on the shoulders of Jesus Christ and trust him. That's peace. That's freedom. It's bondage for me to think that I have to earn my own way to heaven. So Paul says, Ishmael's like bondage. Isaac is like freedom. Which son are you like? That's the first contrast that he draws. Look at the second contrast here. Verse 23. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Isn't that a difference? Here you got Ishmael, who represents the legalists. And for them, it's all about flesh. It's all about helping God out. Just like Abraham and Sarah tried to help God out with Hagar, right? We'll help you out, God. We don't need your promise. We'll do it our way. We'll figure out a way. We'll earn our own way. Because that's all according to the flesh. That's all according to human effort. No, God has another way. It's the way represented by Isaac, by true Christianity. And in that way, God says, here is a promise. Look at it there in verse 23. And he of the free woman through the promise. It was a promise that God would do a miracle. A promised miracle would take place. And that would settle your relationship with God. Has God done that miracle in your life? You know what the Bible calls that miracle? It calls it being born again. Many people say that one of the most special miraculous things that they ever see in all their natural days is a baby being born. Well, you know, it is a miraculous thing, and it's a miraculous thing when somebody is born into spiritual life, too. It didn't happen because you really, really wanted it to happen, and you willed it into happening. It didn't happen because you went out and did a bunch of good works for it to happen. It happened because you trusted God, and he gave you the gift of a promised miracle. That's how Isaac was born, and that's how true Christians follow God, too. You see the difference? Is it Isaac, or is it Ishmael? Then he goes on. That's the second contrast between the flesh and the promised miracle. Look at the next one, verse 24. He says, which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. 
For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. See, now he's saying that there's a contrast between two covenants. Did you see that in verse 24 where he said, which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants. Do you know what a covenant is? It's a Bible sounding word for a contract. It's an agreement between two parties. Did you know that God has two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant? And which one does he invite us to come and relate to him on? A new covenant. You know what I think is amazing about modern American religion and spiritual thinking? Is that there aren't two covenants. You know how many covenants there are in modern American thinking? Oh, there's about 250 million Americans. There's about 250 million covenants with God. And the way people think today, they can have their own individual covenant with God, right? You and God sort of cut your own deal. And you know, when you cut your own deal with God... Isn't it funny how the terms are very favorable to you? You know, like your own pet sins, the own things that you like to do, somehow God accepts those. It's no problem. The, the, the things that you're strong in, well, that's the things your covenant's strong in. The things you're weak in, well, those just wink it. That's the way most people think today, that they cut their own deal with God. Can I tell you, it doesn't work that way. There's two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. And God says, you come to me on the basis of the new covenant. Now, what's the old covenant marked by? Look at it here. One by Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage. Again, Mount Sinai was the place where God brought the law through the prophet Moses. And so there's that one covenant, the the list of rules presented by the gospel, or presented by the law. The other one, look at it here, verse 26. The other one is represented by the Jerusalem above, and it's free. Two covenants. The old covenant, which is about bondage. The new covenant, which is about freedom. Now, maybe I should just pause here for a minute and make a few comments about the extreme relevance about this. When you read what Paul writes here, you get a sense of his great passion about these things. And sometimes we think Paul is so worked up about it, that we just kind of yawn. You know, Paul, what are you so worked up about? See, Paul, you don't understand. You say, I've got other problems. My marriage is in trouble. I can't pay my bills. I've got a lot of personal problems. You'd do a lot more good by teaching me about these things than by going on and on about your theology, about being right with God. Don't we need practical help instead? Paul would say, you know, first of all, I'm being extremely practical. Because did you know that there's nothing more practical And whether you go to heaven or hell, we'll we'll just start off with that. I mean, what does it really matter if you have the best marriage, the best financial life, the the best career track, all those things that people are concerned about? You got all those things taken care of, and you still go to hell. You could be the most successful person ever to perish in hell. (laughs) What good is that? Secondly, we understand that the Bible teaches us a system of priorities and that the most important priority in our life should be our relationship with God. When we have that squared away, it puts everything else into the position to be made right. In other words, Jesus said it this way, if you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. 
So the most important thing you can do for your marriage is have your own life right with God. The most important thing you can do for your family or your financial life or anything, start it out with having your life right with God. And Paul's pointing us the way to do that. Is it going to be more like Isaac or is it going to be more like Ishmael? Well, the the Ishmael way is like Hagar and Mount Sinai in Arabia. That's all about the law. The Isaac way, the true way, look at it here, verse 26. It's like the Jerusalem above, which is free, which is the mother of us all. The other covenant associated with Jerusalem, with Mount Zion, not the Mount Zion of this earth. He says the Jerusalem above. This is the Mount Zion that's in heaven. This is the difference between heaven and earth. He says the covenant that God gives us, the covenant represented by Isaac, that comes down from heaven. The covenant represented by Ishmael, that's based on the earth. Friends, I think this is a remarkable difference between all other religions and Christianity. Every other religion on the face of the earth, including what I'll call Christian legalism, is all about earth reaching up to heaven. Man aspiring to climb a ladder and do the best he can before God. I remember one time when I was a child going into the church that I was raised in and and at a catechism class once, one of the teachers explained it to me this way and I remember it so clearly exactly what she said. She said, getting to heaven is like climbing a ladder. Every time you do something good, you take a step up. Every time you do something bad, you take a step down. And you just have to hope that the things you do good are so much better than the things you do bad that you climb the ladder into heaven. I can't think of a more unbiblical way of phrasing the true gospel. Or I mean, that's just, it's heretical. But you see what the picture is? It's climbing from earth to heaven. Friends, that's earthly. You know what God says? He says, I'm going to come down from heaven to earth and bring you my salvation. We don't reach up into heaven to grab it. God brings it down from heaven and we receive it. That's the difference. That's the next contrast that he draws. The the difference between earth to heaven or heaven to earth. And he goes on and he describes the children of this covenant. Verse 27. For it is written, now he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 54. Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who do not travail. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. You see, now God will take the desolate and by miraculous birth, he'll give them many, many more descendants. And again, this is a beautiful, beautiful contrast between many more and many. I mean, many is fine, but many more is better. And God says he's going to bring in through this new covenant many more than ever came under the old covenant. And that prophecy has been fulfilled gloriously in Jesus Christ and in the history of the church. So he's been painting these contrasts all along here. Now he's going to get to some more of them in verse 28, where he says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Well, first you like the triumphant statement Paul makes in verse 28, right? He says, brothers, we're like Isaac. We're not like Ishmael. We're sons according to the promise. Every one of us have a relationship with God, not based on the flesh, but according to the promise. Live in that, walk in that, enter into it. But he says, but I've got a warning for you. Did you notice it in verse 29? 
he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Paul says, look, you've got your Isaacs, you've got your Ishmaels. He says, and you know what? The Ishmaels persecute the Isaacs. It's true, isn't it? If there's anything that a legalist can't stand, it's someone really walking in the grace and the liberty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, does it bug them. Because there they are, working hard to try to earn their way to God. And they're working hard at it. And you know what? They're doing a pretty good job, thank you very much. And you know what? They, they have a pretty good standing with God based on what they do. Why, you should see all they do. You should see their attendance chart in heaven. It looks great. It's all filled with gold stars. Man, it looks good. And then here comes somebody, and the attendance chart just doesn't matter very much to them at all because they're trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for them. And they have a freedom, they have a confidence, they have a liberty. Why the legalist looks at them and says, why should you be so confident about your relationship with God? Hey, because it's based on what Jesus did for me. Well, why should you think that God loves you so much? Because he loves Jesus so much, and I'm in Jesus Christ. Oh, and that really gets under the skin of the legalist. So what do you find? You find the legalist persecuting the true Christian the Christian with liberty. You find the Ishmael persecuting the Isaac. It says, But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Great men of God through the ages have known this persecution. Men like Martin Luther, he wrote on this passage, he said, People blame us and the gospel for everything. For the disobedience of subjects to the rulers, for wars, plagues, famines, and revolutions, and every other evil that can be imagined. No wonder our opponents think they are doing God a favor by hating and persecuting us. Ishmael will persecute Isaac. It's true. Friends, the persecution we face as Christians will not always be by the world. Sometimes it will be by half-brothers, by Ishmael's. That's a tough thing, but God balances it out here. Look at verse 30. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast the bondwoman and her son, or cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Now, there's two interesting things there in verse 30 where Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 16. What are the two interesting things? Or excuse me, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 21. Two aspects of it. First of all, it's very interesting that Paul says that there has to be a division between the two, right? Ishmael and Isaac can't forever abide in the same home. They just can't. You've got to get one out. Grace and law can't exist together. You're either going to come to God on the basis of what you do for him or on the basis of what he's done for you. It's going to be one or the other. So what's it going to be? Isaac or Ishmael? I think today we should say to, I, say to Ishmael, get out of the house. Just go. Take you and Hagar with you. I'm going to relate to God on the basis of grace. That's it. It's with his work for me. That's what matters. But then notice this. This is the next thing. And this balances out the persecution. Verse 30. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Ishmael doesn't get an inheritance, does he? Isaac does. 
And that's our glorious privilege as believers. Yes, there's some persecution that the Isaacs of this world have to bear right now, but you also get an inheritance, don't you? You also get a beautiful, glorious gift from God and an inheritance from Him. And that sets your life on Him in the right kind of place. Now, you know what? When, when you have that relationship with God in the right way, when you're walking in the grace of the Lord, when you have that security and that abundance in your relationship with God, then you know what? Just go ahead and draw on that inheritance. When you need God's help as a loving father to help you and your family, you draw on your inheritance. See, Father, you say, I have an inheritance. So, Lord, come help me. I need your help. Come help me, not because I deserve it, but because I'm in Jesus Christ. That's how we find this, as a continuing source of help. As Paul wraps it up here in verse 31, he says, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. That should be the statement for every one of us. We don't have an Ishmael kind of relationship with God. We have an Isaac kind of relationship with God. Our Christian life is all about freedom, about God's promised miracle, about from heaven to earth, about seeing many more born. Yes, it's about being persecuted sometimes, but it's about inheriting everything. That's the life marked by Isaac. Then you have Ishmael, don't you? all about slavery and bondage, about being born according to the flesh, about going from earth up to heaven. Yes, there's many children, but they're persecuting children, and they inherit nothing. You see, friend, the central issue in all of this, and we're going to get into it next week in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 and following, the great issue about all this is freedom. Freedom. And Paul would look at us, and if he could preach this sermon today and expound on his own text, he'd probably say, let me tell you, I know the difference between living your Christian life as an Ishmael and living it as an Isaac, because I was Ishmael for years and years. That's where Paul was before he gave his life to Jesus Christ. He tried to earn his way before God based on what he did. And oh, he was meticulous. He was a law-keeping superstar of his day. Everybody knew who Paul was. Everybody knew that he was a chief man among the Pharisees, a chief man among the religious elite. He knew what it was like to try to earn your own way to God. And he says, that's bondage. I want the freedom of knowing that Jesus Christ has done it for me. Friends, what's it going to be like for you? An Ishmael kind of relationship with God or an Isaac kind of relationship with God. God wants you to know the glory and the power of that miraculous promise that gave birth to Isaac. It can give birth to you too. And I pray that for some of you this morning, be a new birth, be a new change in life, a new focus. God's spoken something to your heart right now this morning, and suddenly it's kind of clear when it wasn't so clear before about your need to walk in the grace and in the finished work of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Then you can go out and serve him with a new passion, new desire that you never had before. I pray the Lord will settle that in your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Father, it is my prayer, Lord, that everyone here would know the glory, the glory, Father, of this Isaac kind of relationship with you. The relationship of sons, not slaves. The relationship of freedom, not bondage. Father, help every one of us to set aside this legalistic mentality, God, and obey you, having the law under us as a road that we walk on, not being under the law as a jailer or a policeman over us. 
Thank you, Lord. We love you. We praise you. I ask, God, that you'd set some hearts free this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.